let's pray for that now and be praying throughout the week that God would watch over the women of our church and really bless their time up there and also pray for our service. Let's pray. Lord God, we are so thankful for all that you allow us to do as a church, meeting here this morning and worshiping you for who you are and what you've done for us. We thank you for that, Lord God. We thank you that we have the ability and the, the privilege as a church for, to send the women of our church, all those who desire to go away and, and spend time together in your word, encouraging one another, challenging one another, and building up their faith in you. We thank you for the women that are, that are behind the scenes preparing it all. We ask that you would give them a special blessing this morning and this week as they do all the final preparations for that, Lord God. And I pray that every woman that has a desire to go would be able to go, Lord God, and nothing would stop them. We ask for your mercy upon them. We ask for your grace upon them and ask that you would move a might, in a mighty way amongst them when they're up in the mountains. And so, again, Lord, we thank you for all that you do. We thank you for this morning. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Well, open your Bibles this morning to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. We're going to resume our our study through the Gospel of John. We're going to start in verse 22 and read all the way to the end of the chapter. And the title of this morning's message is, You Are Part of God's Plan. You Are Part of God's Plan. As I was preparing this, I was thinking of my U10 soccer team. We're having a tough season. We kind of feel like the 49ers in football right now, <laughs> except we haven't won a game. But anyways, that was for the 49er fans out there. <laughs> Unfortunately, you know, it's been a tough season, and every time in between, the, you know, they play four quarters for the kids, and every kid's needed, even though we lose. We, they're all needed in their proper positions, and it's interesting that every time we come in, you know, after a quarter, they're always trying to tell me where they want to play. You know, I want to play striker, I want to play defense, I want to play goalie, and I'm like, I'm the coach. I'm the coach. I'm going to tell you where you're going to play. I know where your strengths are, where your weaknesses are. You don't. So I don't say it like that, obviously, but the, the, the point is, is each of them has strengths and weaknesses in certain areas. Some are, are great strikers playing up front and can score, and, and others are better defenders. But the point is, is we need all of them in their separate positions. And at different times, I know when they need a break and they, need, they look tired, we need to sit them down. And in the same way, God looks at us and has a plan for each and every one of us, a position for us in the body of Christ. And even in the local church, God has a part for us to play. And a lot of times we do the same thing. Oh, no, I want to do this. I want to do that. Or I don't want to do that. Or, I want to sit out. I'm tired. I could keep going. And God has to say, no, I'm the coach. I'm God, and I'll tell you where you're going to be. And I think this morning, I hope this morning as we look at this section of John chapter 3, you can get an understanding, and and really my prayer for you as a believer is that you find your part in God's plan and rejoice in that. So let's look at this morning's text, and let's read through it, and then we'll come back and explain it and find some points of application. So we're in John chapter 3, starting in verse 22, and the apostle John writes, After these things, Jesus and his disciples came into the land of Judea, and there he was spending time with them and baptizing. John also was baptizing in Anon near Salem, because there was much water there, and people were coming and were being baptized, for John had not yet been thrown into prison. So the apostle John sets up the background of what's going on. You have Jesus 
and some of his disciples in one area baptizing. And it's really his disciples baptizing, not Jesus, according to John chapter 4, which is next week. They're baptizing. And then John the Baptist is also baptizing. So there's these two ministries going on together. And John the Baptist's disciples, see it, they think it's an issue. Look, look at verse 25. Therefore, there arose a discussion on the part of John's disciples with the Jew about purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you beyond the Jordan to whom you have testified, behold, he is baptizing and all are coming to him. So they're like, hey, it's two ministries. Uh, All these people are going to Jesus now. And John's going to kind of set them straight for a second. They, they have an issue with that. We'll talk a little bit more about that. So that's what's going on. And John answers their question. John answered and said, a man can receive nothing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. He who has the bride is the bridegroom, but the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice. So this joy of mine has been made full. He must increase, but I must decrease. He who comes from, he- from above is above all. So John gives a little more explanation here. He who is of the earth is from the earth and speaks of the earth. He who comes from heaven is above all. What he has seen and heard of, that he testifies, and no one receives his testimony He who has received his testimony has set his seal on this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So there's the story. So let's go back now and do a little more explanation on this to give you an understanding of what's going on. As I mentioned in the very beginning, John's disciples see Jesus baptizing and John baptizing. Up until this point in John's gospel, John the Baptist has been a a big part. And this is where he's going to bow out of the rest of of the gospel. This is his last time that he's talked about, and it's very appropriate, as we'll see in a few moments. So there's these... In John's disciples' eyes, there's competing ministries. They're like, hey, John, what's going on? This guy that you testified about, he's baptizing, and they say, everybody, probably an over-exaggeration, everybody's going out to him. I thought, you're like the main guy. You get a sense that they're, they're not understanding what's going on. As a matter of fact, it says they have a discussion with a Jewish person about purification, about religious cleansing is should we go to Jesus and be baptized by Jesus? Or is your baptism good enough, John? I mean, is that, that could have been the conversation of what's going on. Wasn't John good enough? They might be thinking, hey, do we need to go over there now? Do we need to stop following you? They, they have a little bit of loyalty, it seems like, to John the Baptist. Hey, we want your ministry to excel. I mean, you think of that, about that in, in ministries in general for churches. You know, we, we might see a really big church. As, Man, that's where it's all happening. You know, if our church isn't growing and, and having every ministry in, in, that's available, maybe something's wrong. Maybe that's kind of the thought process of John's disciples here. Everybody's going to Jesus. 
And so that's the dilemma that they bring to their teacher. And they even call rabbi in chapter 26. And so John is going to give his disciples a correct understanding of his role in God's plan. Because you'll see that John recognizes that this is what's supposed to happen. And he says that I must decrease as Christ increased. His ministry is eventually going to fade away. And that's why I said it's appropriate that here in John chapter 3, this is the last time we see John the Baptist. So John, let's look at verse 27. John's going to answer his disciples and answer their question in a way of correcting their understanding of his ministry and his purpose, which he says he's already borne witness to. And he says it like this. Look at verse 27. And John answered and said, A man can receive nothing unless it has been given from heaven. In a sense, he's saying all that I have, all my ministry that I have has come from God. John, in a sense, knows his place in God's plan. And he says it. Look at verse 28. You yourselves are my witnesses that I said I am not the Christ, but I have been sent ahead of him. Remember the previous chapters as we studied about John's ministry. John's ministry was to do what? To prepare the way of the coming of the Messiah and to point people to the Messiah. So John's ministry should eventually evaporate because all of his disciples, if he's doing the right thing, are going to Jesus. That's what he was sent for, to point everybody to Jesus, to prepare everybody to receive Christ. And his disciples didn't understand. That's why they say, hey, he's baptizing that guy that you bore witness to. And we're baptized and we have this question about purification. He's like, you guys are misunderstanding. This is, my ministry's done in, in essence. I've, I'm completed. I've done what I'm supposed to do. He says that you guys bore, you guys are witnesses yourself of all that I said. I'm not the Christ. He's the guy that you should be going to. He's the guy that we were all waiting for, and he's here now. There's no reason to stay with me anymore. That would be a, a, a tough ministry, right? You build up all your ministry, John's very humble, to give it all away, in essence. And he's done. He's out of business, so to speak. And that's what he says. All that my ministry came from God, and, and I'm doing it. I focused on serving God, and the results are up to God, and ultimately the results for him are that everyone will see Christ, and they'll go to him. And then he goes into this illustration of the first century wedding to explain this a little more. Look at verse 29. This is where he says, He who has the bride is the bridegroom. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly because of the bridegroom's voice, So this joy of mine has been made full. So he says, I'm not the Messiah. I am like the friend of a bridegroom. And in this story that I just read in verse 29, the bridegroom is Christ. And the friend of the bridegroom is John the Baptist. So he's like the modern day best man of the wedding. That's who he is. And back then, in the first century, the best man was responsible. He was almost like the wedding coordinator. He organized it. He oversaw all the plans. He was the master of ceremonies. It's said that he even got the bride 
and brought her to the bridegroom, made sure she showed up, right? Hey, I got to get you there. I got all the plans. I sent out all the invites. We're ready to go. That was his role. So can you see the correlation with John the Baptist? His role is to get the bride, the people of God, ready for the bridegroom, the Messiah. That's his, that's his job. You have one job, John. And John did it successfully. He prepared the way for the Messiah. He was the voice crying in the wilderness. Make straight the ways of the Lord. The Lord's come and everybody should be going to him. And this is what he's trying to explain to his disciples. All those people that are going out to be baptized by Jesus, that's what's supposed to happen. Basically, he goes, it's not about me. It's not about our ministry, guys. This is it. We can fold up the tents and fold up the chairs and we're done because we did our job. And that's why he says, he who has the bride is the bridegroom, meaning the bride, the believers, they're with Christ. But the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him, he hears the bridegroom rejoices. He hears the excitement of the bridegroom receiving his bride, so to speak. He's like, yes, I did my job. They're excited. They're happy. The wedding's going to go on as planned. That's my job. I did it. And he says at the end of verse 29, so this joy of mine has been made full. All of John the Baptist's ministry were His purpose and ministry is complete. It's full. And his disciples are a witness to that. This is what I said I was going to do. And now it's done. Now I can wrap it up. My ministry is over in essence. And he concludes by saying in verse 30, He must increase and I must decrease. The ministry of the Messiah, the glorification of the Messiah must continually increase and he decreases it's not about john it's not about john's ministry or john's baptism or john's disciples it's all about jesus and if we think about it a church's responsibility a pastor's responsibility is to glorify christ to lead the church to christ it's not about the pulpit it's not about the big name of the church it's about pointing people to christ and each and every one of you that serve in ministry, that's your ministry as well, to point people to Christ. It's not about how many people come or how high people jump. It's do they desire to follow Christ. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a few minutes when we get into a point of application. So John's saying, I'm not the Messiah. I'm the friend of the bridegroom. I prepare the way for the Messiah. I point people to Christ and ultimately He must increase. Jesus' ministry must increase, which it does, because as I mentioned, we no longer hear about John appropriately after chapter 3. He totally decreased. And he gives reasons why, although he doesn't have to in verses 31 through 35. Look at all that he says about Jesus after this. He says, he who comes from above, meaning Jesus, he's above all. The reason that we should follow him is because he's from heaven. He who is from the earth, talking about himself, is from the earth and speaks of the earth. But he who comes from heaven is above all. He says it again in verse 32. What he has seen and heard of that he testifies and no one receives his testimony. I like what one commentator said about Jesus. He says, Jesus speaks from observation, not from theory. 
Jesus was in heaven. He saw it all. He knows all things. He's given all authority. He speaks from the proper authority. Remember in the Gospels, every time the religious authorities hear Jesus, they're like, who is this guy? He speaks like one with authority, and he hasn't been taught in our schools or gone to rabbinical training. He speaks with authority because he speaks from experience, not theory. I like that. And in verse 34, it says he speaks the very words of God. From he whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For he gives the spirit without measure. Jesus has the whole spirit, not a little bit, the entire spirit of God. In verse 35, for the Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Again, all authority from the Father has been given to the Son. This is the uh, Apostle John's purpose in writing the gospel. Remember, we said that the very first week of studying the the gospel of John. He's trying to prove that this guy, Jesus, not this guy, but Jesus came from the Father. He has all authority. He is the Messiah that we've been waiting for. And if you believe on him, you can have assurance that your salvation is true and sure. And it's going to happen over and over again throughout the pages of the Gospel of John. So John's conclusion now, let's look at John's conclusion in verse 36. Because of all that he's told his disciples, he says this. He who believes in the Son has eternal life. So he's pointing his own disciples now who are having a hard time. It seems like, hey, you're the guy that we show. He's like, no, you need to believe in the Son. If you believe in Him, you have eternal life. And then he gives the opposite. But he who does not obey, and I want you to catch that. He says, believe and obey. They're almost used, they're almost intertwined, and they should be. Part of believing in God is also what? Obeying God. You don't just say, I believe in God and do what you want. No, there's obedience involved in belief. And so that's why he says, but he who does not obey the Son will not see life. Those who believe in Christ, the Son, will see life. Those who do not will not see life. Not only that, he he ends by saying this, but the wrath of God abides on him. So the wrath of God will not be sufficed if you do not obey him. You do not accept Jesus Christ as Savior. Do not accept the sacrifice on the cross. Then the wrath of God that's already on you will stay on you, will not be appeased. That's interesting to note. The wrath of God is on all of mankind because we're all sinful. And it isn't until that you believe in the Son that God lifts his wrath from you. So think of that. If you're not in Christ right now, the wrath of God abides on you right now. And one day it will be fully consummated with eternal separation from God. And this is what John says. Hey, you guys, I appreciate, these are my paraphrase, I appreciate the loyalty, but my ministry is to point you to Christ. And you guys need to go follow, believe, and obey him. Because if you don't, that you will not see life, and the wrath of God will abide on you. So, with that that said, let me make three points of application this morning. And we can learn this from John the Baptist. And it's this, be part of God's plan. And that's the title of this message I said in the very beginning. You are a part of God's plan. Well, be part of it. Well, how do we do that? 
Well, number one, recognize that as a believer, and I'm speaking to believers first, I'll speak to those in this room who maybe do not have a relationship with Christ, who have not received Christ's forgiveness. But to believers, for those of you that say, I'm a disciple of Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, I believe in the Son and I obey Him. Well, we have this to do. Number one, recognize that you are a witness for God. You are a witness for God. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And you can just stay here for the rest of this, uh, these points. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 a couple times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, starting in verse 17, the Apostle Paul is reminding the church who they are in Christ. And it's at their witnesses. Look at what he says. And we all know this verse. We've probably heard this verse many times. But it's interesting when you read the verses after it, what this new creation is supposed to do. It says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. We've heard that, right? All things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. A lot of times we read a verse, just one verse, and that's it, and we don't get the whole context, right? How many of you have heard this verse before? Behold, we're new creatures in Christ, old things pass away, new things have come. We claim it, we own it, that's my verse. But read everything. Never read one Bible verse. Read before and after as well to get the context. Look at verse 18. Now all these things are from God, right? This new creation is from God. And all that he's spoken up to in in chapter 5 that we haven't touched on. Now, all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ. These are believers. And gave us, look at this, gave us, not just the pastor, the ministry of what? Reconciliation. What is that? Namely, verse 19, that God in Christ, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. So because of what Christ has done for us, because we're this new creation, look at verse 20, therefore, we, the believers, are ambassadors for Christ. As though God were making an appeal through us, we beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, so that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. Our ministry as believers, each and every one of us who says we're a believer in Christ, we are to be ambassadors for Christ in this world, calling people to be reconciled to God. So again, you as a believer, me as a believer, we are witnesses for God telling them about Christ. Pastor Charles Stanley says this, I like this. He says, God's plan for enlarging his kingdom is so simple. It's one person telling another person about the Savior. Think about that, how you became a believer. It was probably one person who you could remember who was maybe always inviting you to church, telling you about Jesus, or being a witness in your life. And it's that simple. I mean, maybe you were at a a big church and you walked forward or said a prayer, but there was one person probably that had a big hand in your coming to Christ. He goes on to say, Charles Stanley, 
yet we're busy and full of excuses. And I would agree to that, right? We, we have a job to be Christ's ambassadors, but we're busy. And we could come up with a hundred excuses why not to tell somebody about Christ. He says this, just remember, someone's eternal destiny is at stake. The joy you'll have when you meet that person in heaven will far exceed any discomfort you felt in sharing the gospel. How many of you have been in like youth ministry or Sunday school and you were teaching kids and you, you, know, you don't know if you've ever reached them? Maybe they were the kid that gave you the biggest problem. Or if you were discipling somebody and you feel like, man, this, this guy or girl, they never get it. Every time I tell them to do something at Bible study, they do the exact opposite. But how excited will you be one day when you're in heaven and they're there? You're like, I didn't even know that. My wife reminds me of that of my soccer team, <laughs> that we lose every week. But she's like, you don't know the impact you're having on those kids. So I'm like, dang it, why do you have to make it all spiritual? I just want to win a game in soccer. <laughs> but it's true, you never know. What if just because you were kind or you spent some time with somebody, you shared a Bible verse, you prayed with them that one time, it's going to be a great reunion in heaven. And maybe it's even your own kids that you think aren't listening to you. They do the exact opposite all the time. You tell them about They don't even want to come to church with you. They wouldn't even come if you didn't drag them. But you never know. They may end up coming back. They may remember all the times you made them go to church and the great experiences they had there. We never know. We're called to be witnesses for God making an appeal to them to be reconciled to Christ. Recognize that you are a witness for God. Sometimes we're bad witnesses and sometimes we're good witnesses. We're not perfect. We've all been bad witnesses, I'm sure. And we could, we, we could re, we regret all the things we said and did. But repent, apologize, ask for forgiveness. Fix that. Recognize that you are a witness for God. Secondly, be a part of God's plan recognize that you are gifted to be a witness for God. Maybe you're thinking, well, I don't have any gifts. I can't, you know, I can't remember the gospel or uh, the Romans road, or I don't even know what the Romans road is, and I'm not, I'm not a preacher, a pastor, a worship leader, a Sunday school teacher. I don't know what my gift is. But guess what? You're all gifted. Just like my soccer team, maybe you know they don't have the greatest skills and gifts in, in every area, but in certain areas they're all good. Maybe some of them are aggressive, and some of them are good at defense and offense, and some are just great passers. We need all of them in order to be a team. Go back to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Here's a great chapter that talks about the use of spiritual gifts. Because each and every one that God calls, He empowers them to be a witness for them in some way. So uh, the Apostle Paul writes, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware. So he's going to talk about the gifting that God gives. So drop down to verse 4. Now there are a variety of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are a variety of ministries and the same Lord. Let's keep reading. 
there are a variety of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. So God is working in each and every one of us for his glory. But each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the wisdom through the Spirit to one another, to, excuse me, but each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good, for the good of everyone. For to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, to another the word of knowledge according to the same Spirit, to another faith by the same Spirit, and to another gifts of healings by the one Spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another distinguishing of spirits, and to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same Spirit works all things, distributing to each one individually just as He wills. God gives each and every one of us gifts to use for the common good. This is what the Apostle Paul is saying to the church at Corinth. Drop down to verse 14. For the body, speaking of church, for the body is not one member, but many. And he gives the example of the human body. Look what he says. If the foot says, because I'm not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It is not for this reason any less than part of the body. Right? Just because you're, he's saying, if the, foot, if, we all, if the foot said, well, I'm not a hand, so I'm no good, that's not true. We need feet to walk. Again, going back to my soccer team, I need the kids to play defense because if they don't play defense, they're just going to keep scoring. You can't all be up front of the field and play striker and have nobody back on defense. And we can't have nobody want to play goalie because then it would be a, really a big disaster, even worse than it is. We can't all do that. We can't be something we're not. Remember the apostle, or John the Baptist said, everything that we have comes from God. God's assigned him a ministry, a certain ministry, and it comes from God. So each and every one of us that serves that ministry or serves God in some capacity and has some gift, that's coming from God. He's given you that gifting to be his witness. Drop down to verse 27 now of 1 Corinthians 12. He says, now you are Christ's body and individually members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healings, helps, administrations, and various kinds of tongues. We'll stop right there. God, even in the church, given different people different aspects of gifts in the church. Right? If I was running certain parts of this church, it would be really bad. I'm not gifted in certain areas. And even within our pastoral staff, each and every one of us is gifted in different areas. And so we serve in those areas that we feel we're gifted in. And even in the church, if, if I was doing a ministry that I'm not called to do, it would be really bad. And each and every one of you that serves in ministries, we need you there. God's given you those gifts to serve. You may be asking or saying to yourself, well, I don't know what gift I have, and that's okay. I would say this, what are you passionate about in your life? Can you use it to bring glory to God? I was thinking of that this morning, you know, uh, people that are, you know, on social media can be a great area to glorify God. Can it? A lot of people read your posts, a lot of people see pictures. 
a lot of people view YouTube, what greater area can you have an impact than there? People that you might not ever talk to will see that. If you love YouTubing, then YouTube for Christ. Why not? You're passionate about it. Be creative. Do something for God in that area or social media in any aspect you can. What's your passion? Use it to bring glory to God. And be like the apostle or be like John the Baptist and say, hey, I'm going to increase God's uh, reputation or or God's ministry or God's glory. And I'm going to decrease. I'm going to use my Facebook account or my Instagram or Twitter account to bring glory to God. And it's not about me. How many people use those things to say it's about me? And that's not necessarily bad. We all do it. But I'm just saying, whatever you're passionate about, use it for the glory of God. It can be anything. We have to remember that life, that we, the life that we have right now is not about us. So many times we forget about that. We've been bought with the price. Our body is not our own, we've been told. Remember, go back to 2 Corinthians one more time. One of my favorite verses, and I've read this over and over to you guys, you it's 1 Corinthians 5, the chapter we were in, a little bit earlier before, chapter, before verse 17. Look at verse 15. To me, this always reminds me and keeps me focused on who I am and what I'm supposed to be doing in my life. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15. It says this, And he died for all, obviously speaking about Jesus, so that... So he died so that, so if you're a believer, this is why, one reason why he died, or an aspect of his dying, that they who live, meaning those who've accepted Christ, might no longer live for themselves. That's why I said it's not about us. It's not about me, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Let me read that again without the commentary. And he who died for all. And he died for all so that they who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died and rose again on their behalf. Christ died for us and gave us life. And our ministry is to live for him. And it's what, that's why I can say we're all part of God's plan. What role do we play in that? That's different for each and every one of us where we're at in life what we're doing, where we work, where we live, where we play. And it can change throughout our entire life. But wherever you find yourself, wherever you are, be a witness for God because our life is not about us. It's about Him who gave us life. I hope you, I hope you understand that. I hope you see that and believe that. As believers, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And then I'll conclude with this last. So those of you who are not believers, I'll conclude with what, the apost- or what John the Baptist said to his disciples. He said, But he who does not obey the Son will not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. My plea, as, the, as Paul said, is that you be reconciled to God. That you would believe and obey Jesus, the Son of God. And the work that he's done, the death that he suffered for your sins, for my sins, for everyone's sins. 
Will you believe on him and be reconciled to God and have life eternal? Or you will, will you not believe on him? Will you not obey him? And will you not see eternal life and suffer the wrath of God? This morning you have that choice. The believers in this room, you have that choice. Are you going to be part of God's plan? Are you going to fulfill the ministry he's called you to? Are you going to look for it? Are you going to seek it? And to those of you who do, know, do not know Christ, will you call out to him? Will you ask for forgiveness? Will you repent of your sin and ask him to forgive you and receive him as Lord and Savior and believe on his son and obey him? That is my plea to you this morning. So we're going to pray. The worship team is going to sing a song. And, and if you want to receive Christ, I would encourage you to do that. If you need help with that, there'll be some people in the back that can pray with you to do that this morning if you don't understand what that means. And for the rest of us, let's be determined to fulfill the ministry that God's called us to be and be part of his plan. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you so much that it speaks to us even today. Each and every one of us from the teenagers in this room to the oldest of us in this room. You've called us as believers to be in ministry in some way, to be witnesses for you, to be ambassadors for Christ. So help us to do that, Lord God. And first I say, please forgive us for our failures, for the times that we've blown our witness. We've brought shame to your name. Lord God, we ask for your forgiveness for that. We pray that you would help us this morning to go out and fix anything that we've messed up so that we can be witnesses for you, so that, your, that our testimony will be unhindered. And Lord God, we ask that you would work powerfully through us. Show us, Lord God. I pray that you show each and every person in this room this morning where you would want them to be a witness in their life, whether it is at school, at work, on the Internet, at home, in this church, wherever you've called them, Lord God. I pray that you would reveal that to them this morning. And you would empower them to be a witness for you. Take away their fears and frustrations. And we pray that your word would go out mightily through everybody in this room this morning. And Lord God, I pray this morning also for those who have not received your love, who have not experienced your forgiveness. I pray this morning that you would speak to their hearts, that you would open their eyes and ears, and they would hear your spirit, Lord God, calling them to yourself. We thank you for this time we've had, Lord God. And it's in your son's name we pray and thank you for all things. Amen.